Well, good morning, everybody. <clears throat> good to see you this morning. It's nice to see a few more here this week. Hopefully, uh, over the next few weeks, we'll see some other restrictions change and in the good direction, that is, and there'll be more of us as we gather on Sunday. It's also great to have you online if you're gathering with us as well. We're continuing in Matthew this morning, so you might like to have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 11. That's where we're going to be, and we'll read that just shortly. Uh, some of you may have heard this story before, but uh, many years ago, I came home from work. I think it was just any kind of normal day of the week. can't remember what day of the week it was. <clears throat> came home, and it was kind of that 5.30 to 6 time where everything's getting organised for dinner and so on. And the phone rings, and so I pick it up, and it's got that kind of pause, that long pause, and then this voice kind of comes who you're thinking, I think this is, I don't know which part of the world this is from, but I'm pretty sure it's not Australia. Uh, and they're saying, is that, uh, excuse me, is that Mr. Mr. Anthony Spencer? And I'm like, um, yes, but no thanks. And I uh, kept going as they often do. Uh, I'd, I'd like to talk to Mr. Anthony Spencer. It's uh, regard, no, 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 look, no thanks. Look, thank you, but no thanks. And they kept going again. So I'm like, no thanks. I really appreciate the call, but no thanks. And eventually uh, we ended the call. A little while later... Uh, one of the kids, I don't remember which one, said, Oh, Dad, um, someone rang earlier from Buyer's Edge. Uh, they were calling regarding an overdue payment on your Buyer's Edge credit card. At which point, all I could hear in my head was, No thanks, no thanks, thank you, but no thanks. Turns out, sometimes our responses really matter, <laughs> depending on who it is that we're responding to. Uh, our responses can at times have serious outcomes for us. Sometimes they can be neither here nor there. We respond to things all the time, but at other times our responses are really, really important. Uh, as we continue in our series in Matthew today, we're going to see different responses that people are having to Jesus. He is the king who saves, who has come to bring the kingdom of heaven. And our response to him initially and from then on couldn't be more important. But first, when we talk about responding to Jesus, what do we actually mean? What are we talking about? It's probably a phrase we throw out lots, you know, you need to respond to Jesus. What do we mean when we say that? What does it mean to respond to Jesus? Well, we're actually, when we talk about responding to Jesus, we're actually responding to everything that we've seen in Matthew's Gospel so far. If you're visiting with us, we've been working our way through the first half of Matthew, and we've got another week or two to go before we get to Easter, and then we're going to take a break and head into the book of Acts. But we've been working our way from chapter 1 through to here, and we've seen a number of things about Jesus that are involved in us responding to Jesus. We've seen in chapter 1 to 3 that he is the promised king or the promised Christ through whom God will bless all the families of the earth, all those who turn to him in trust and faith. Then in chapter 4 to 7, we've seen the announcing of the kingdom of heaven through Jesus. We've seen that he is the new Moses. That is the new Moses, and around him he is gathering the new people of God. 
And he is teaching them his law as he forms them as the new people. A law that goes straight to the heart and changes us from within. In chapter 8 to 10, we saw the kingdom of heaven, as it were, the future glorious reality of a place where there's no sickness, death, mourning, crying, or pain, breaking into the present now in people's lives, in people like, in situations like the cleansing of the leper and the healing of the paralytic and the calming of the storm and Jesus healing many and showing his power over the demonic realm and freeing people from slavery to it seeing the kingdom of heaven breaking in. And then we saw him sending his disciples into the world as sheep among wolves to proclaim that message of the kingdom. So when we're talking about responding to Jesus, this is what we're responding to. The king who saves. The king of God's kingdom. And we respond in repentance and faith. That is, we turn from our own little kingdoms that we are ruling, we set them aside, and we turn to him as the true king who saves people. And so our response to Jesus, therefore, could not be more important, could it? So in chapter 11, where we're going to be today, and through to 13, in fact, where we'll be next week, we see different responses to Jesus, none of which, by the way, surprise him. In chapter 11, verse 1 to 6, we see the uncertainty and doubt of even John the Baptist. Not sure. Are you the one that we've been waiting for and looking for? Because things are not working out how I thought they were going to. Are you the one? That's one response. Kind of doubt and uncertainty. John the Baptist, how how does Jesus respond? He kindly and graciously ministers to him from the Old Testament scriptures to assure him that he is the one. He says, tell John that the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have the good news preached to them, all straight out of Isaiah, which John would have known by the, like the back of his hand. That's one response. Then we see self-interest and indifference and actually outright rejection of Jesus. People conclude, although they know the Old Testament scriptures, that the Son of Man, well, you know, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard. He eats with tax collectors and sinners. He's a friend of theirs, and so he cannot be the promised Christ. We reject him. Then we see others full of unbelief and pride and where there is a complete absence of any turning from self-rule and turning to God's rule. No repentance at all. And Jesus says of, 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 of that response, it will be more tolerable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom than for them. Remember last week we saw that immorality is far less serious than the rejection of Jesus himself. It's serious. Don't get me wrong. But rejecting Christ is the ultimate offence to God for which judgment will come. And then in chapter 12 and verse 1, we see the Pharisees responding to Jesus, scrutinising him as to his, um, 
well, orthodoxy, is he genuine? I mean, you know, his disciples, they pluck grain on the Sabbath and so they're working and breaking the Sabbath and, and he's going to heal, he's going to do good on the Sabbath and so he's working on the Sabbath. So, you know, what are we going to do with him? Well, it gets pretty serious because it says in verse 14, the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how they might destroy him. That's a pretty strong response. So there's different responses to Jesus. And what's really important at this point for us is this, that we take a moment to think about our response to King Jesus personally. How have we responded to Jesus, the King who saves at this point in our lives? And how are we responding to him in this moment and even today? How will we respond to him as he speaks to us from his word. So as we think about that and ask that question, let's look at what Jesus says about all these responses himself in the midst of them. Let's hear directly from him in relation to responding to him. Chapter 11, verse 25 through to 30. Chapter 11, verse 25 through to 30. At that time, Jesus declared... I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labour and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we thank you so much for your great love for us in sending the Lord Jesus The king who saves. The king who will bring in and establish partially and then one day fully the kingdom of heaven. The king who invites us to turn and enter this kingdom through him. The king to whom we all need to respond in some way. Please, Lord, help us to respond in a way that is glorifying to you and good for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are two things for us to see here today as we respond to Jesus, the King who saves. Firstly, Jesus alone graciously reveals God to us. And secondly, Jesus alone graciously gives true rest to us. So firstly, Jesus alone graciously reveals God to us. Uh, What's clear in that reading, I'm sure you saw, saw, is that for us to respond to Jesus, we need revelation from Jesus. For us to respond appropriately to Jesus, we need revelation from Jesus. Uh, In Jesus' prayer to the Father, it's clear that God withholds revelation from some while giving it to others. 
He withholds, we're told, who he is from the wise and the understanding of this world. The proud and the arrogant, the self-sufficient. He hides himself from them. He does not reveal himself from us if we have that attitude. But he reveals or makes himself known to the humble or to the dependent ones, to those, if you like, who are like children. This is how God works. God opposes the prowls, we're told, in the book of James, but gives grace to the humble. This is how God works. And Jesus says that, doesn't he, in verse 26. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. And it's important for us to stop at this moment because we kind of go, oh, that sounds a bit rough. But, you know, it's important for us to know that God is actually under no obligation to make himself known to us at all in this way. He's not. Why? Well, the Bible's clear that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have fallen short and sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the Bible goes on to say that there is none righteous, no, not one. Which means, doesn't it, we have no claim on God. The only thing we're entitled to from God based on our efforts is his just and righteous judgment. We can rightly claim that. Not that we'd want to, but we can. And so God would be completely just to leave us where we are until the final day when we stand before him. And so for God to make himself known to us in the way described here by Jesus is nothing less than sheer, undeserved grace. Undeserved grace. And yet, friends, this is what he does to those who are like little children. Not to the self-sufficient, prideful ones who want to question and scrutinize God, but the ones who know their need, who know they cannot save themselves. And did you notice where God makes himself known? Did you notice that? It's pretty important. Verse 27 Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Friends, I want to tell you that verse alone is massive. It's massive. What do you see there? No one knows the Father except the Son. And no one knows the Son except the Father. What we've got there, friends, is, the, is a window into the wonder of who God is. We've got a window into the wonder of God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Almighty God, in perfect relationship, in perfect knowledge of one another. No one knows who the Father is like except the Son. And no one knows fully who the Son, what the Son is like except the Father. This is the Trinity. This is God himself. 
the glorious one. No one knows. Well, with one exception. What's the one exception? And anyone to whom the Son reveals him. Anyone to whom the Son reveals him. To the little children. To the dependent ones. To the ones who know they cannot save themselves, nor sustain themselves. They're the ones to whom Jesus chooses to reveal the Father and the Son. I don't know whether you remember Philip saying to Jesus, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. What was Jesus' response? Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Friends, this is astonishing what we have here this morning because what we see is this. Christianity is about the revelation of God in the person of Jesus. It's about the revelation of God himself in the person of Jesus. It's about seeing God in Jesus Christ. And not only that, but it's about responding to this revelation of God in repentance and faith, turning from all those other things that might have had our attention and turning to God and humbly trusting in him like a child. The revelation of the Father. Coming into relationship with this God who is Trinity through the Son. When you boil it down, it's all about knowing God through Jesus by grace. And as Jesus makes it clear, this is the only way to know God. No one knows the Father except the Son. And no one knows the Son except the Father and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. This is the only way to know God, by his gracious, undeserved, breathtaking, life-changing revelation. Jesus alone, graciously, reveals God to us. And we're to respond in repentance and faith, turning to him and trusting in him. Now, I don't know how many of you have booked your tickets yet. Maybe you don't know. International travel is open. You can head off any time you want with a few things that you've, boxes you'll need to tick. But nevertheless, interna- international travel is open. Uh, a friend of mine, or at least someone I know, I saw on Facebook yesterday, is sitting there in the airport with his, with his tickets, holding them up, saying, I can finally go! I think he was heading to London. Why would you do it? Why would you travel internationally? Not just at the moment, but why would you do it any time? Well, there's a whole bunch of reasons, but one of the reasons, of course, is that you want to go and see some things. 
You want to see some things, some significant things around the world. And to see those things, you need to get to the location of where those things are. For example, if you want to see the Eiffel Tower, you'll have to go to Paris. If you want to see the Taj Mahal, you'll have to go to India. If you want to see the Colosseum, you'll have to go to the centre of Rome. What about if you want to see God? More than that. What about if you want to know God? Where where am I to go? Well, I'm to come to Jesus and respond to him as a child. Deeply aware of my limitations and happily looking to him as the king who saves. Happily welcoming his reign and his salvation in my life, knowing God the Father through him. Have you done that? Have you done that? Have you responded to Jesus in this way? Maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're thinking, well, Jesus hasn't revealed God to me yet. And until he does, well, I can't know him. So what's the point? And yes, there is definitely God's sovereign role in our salvation. We definitely see that here, right? No one can know the Father except the Son reveals him. But we also see in this very same passage our responsibility before him. Not just God's sovereignty, but our responsibility to respond to to him, which is what we need to think about. God's sovereign role in our salvation, that's his area. We need to think about our responsibility. And it's pretty clear here. God reveals himself, we are told, to those who are like children. We need to come to him as children, which is what we are to think about and how we are to respond. Not only that, but in verse 28, which we'll get to in a minute, Jesus explicitly and specifically invites all who are weary and heavy laden to do what? To come to him. To come to him. All who are not able to save themselves, all who are not able to measure up, no matter how hard they try, So we see Jesus welcoming those who are not coming with self-sufficiency and pride, welcoming those who are coming with nothing and needing everything from Jesus. Yes, absolutely, God is sovereign in our salvation and praise his name that he is because if it was up to me to keep it, And to make it to the end, hmm, probably not going to happen. So I'm grateful for God's sovereignty in my salvation, but I also want to take my responsibility seriously, and I would encourage you to do the same. God commands, we're told in the book of Acts, all people everywhere to repent. That's all people everywhere. That's our responsibility. Repent. Jesus invites all who are weary to come. 
And so, friends, regardless of God's sovereignty, we can be certain that if we come to him, and he tells us this in John's Gospel, he will not turn us away. Our responsibility is to come to him. Friends, if you have done that, do you see the beauty of what it means to be Christian? Just think about this for a minute. Seeing God clearly and knowing him deeply in and through the Lord Jesus. That's Christianity. No other religion on the planet makes such bold claims about knowing God. Yet that is precisely what Jesus holds out to us and graciously offers us as he reveals God to us. Do you see the wonder of this? Has that landed for you in your day-to-day as a child of God? Jesus alone graciously reveals God to us. Secondly, Jesus alone graciously gives true rest to us. We see that in verse 28 and to 30. Come to me, Jesus says, all who labour and are heavy laden, And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we've seen the importance of the revelation of Jesus, now we're looking at the gracious invitation of Jesus. And again, this is what it looks like to respond appropriately to him. He says to the crowds, Come to me. Remember, he's how we know God. And he says, come to me. Come and know God. But do you notice who he invites? All who labor or are weary and heavy laden. Now, what's that about? Well, it most likely refers to people at the time who are weighed down with guilt and shame. People, not unlike today often, trying to be accepted by God by their efforts. And in this case, particularly by trying to submit to the teaching of the religious leaders of the day in the Pharisees. Uh, You may not know this, but the Pharisees had put together this thing called the Talmud. Now, they were so concerned that, we, that they might break God's law that they created this whole other law, this whole other book full of commandments, full of instruction for every day for the faithful Jew. And the idea was if we, if we put this here, it's kind of like a fence around God's law. And so if we fulfill that, well, we're not even going to get close to breaking God's law. But even if we do break you know, the odd Talmud command, one or two here and there, we're still going to be a long way from breaking God's law. It was impossible for people to keep it. We can't keep the law, God's law, first of all. Secondly, we can't keep the commandments. And interestingly enough, because they wrote it, they often had 
the people doing things to fulfill the Talmud that actually broke God's law. And Jesus calls them out on it a couple of times. But people, even though it was impossible to fulfill, people submitted themselves to it. They took on this yoke, so to speak. The result being spiritually weary, weighed down, burdened, condemned, overwhelmed, laden people. And Jesus sees the crowd and he says to such people, come to me, come to me. I will do for you what you can never do for yourself. He says, take my yoke upon you. What's he talking about? What does he mean? Well, the yoke was often associated with God's law with which his people were to obey or to take on. So picture a horse and a buggy and the yoke on the horse. And remember, Jesus is the new Moses. We've seen him as the new Moses, which God's Old Testament law spoke about. And we've seen that he is establishing a new covenant, which the Old Testament promised. A new covenant where God will remember their sins no more. And where God will write his law on people's hearts and make them new from the inside out, a new covenant. And Jesus invites people to come to him and take this new law on them. Come into this new covenant. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yes, you will live for me, but you will live for me, empowered by me to do so. And what does he promise if we do that? What's the promise? I will give you Rest. I will give you rest. You will find rest for your souls, he says. Now, this is interesting and not immediately obvious in this word rest because the word here is the word often used for Sabbath. For Sabbath. And if you look at the immediate encounters that happen after Jesus says this, They're both about the Sabbath. The Pharisees are not happy with Jesus or his followers in relation to the Sabbath. They feel that they are breaking it. The disciples are plucking grain. They feel that Jesus is breaking it. He is healing people or doing good. And according to the Talmud, the fence, that's wrong. It's an example of where they've got it wrong. Because the Sabbath had one main purpose. It was to point us to God. Jesus instituted it, in fact, which is what he says in verse 8, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. It was his idea. It was instituted by him and it was designed to point you to him. 
and remind you that your life came ultimately from him and so you could rest. You could rest on the Sabbath. You could rest in him. You didn't have to work every day because you could rest in God on that seventh day and know that God doesn't rest and that he'll keep providing for you even when you're resting. So friends, let's see what Jesus is so wonderfully saying here again. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He invites us to cease from our striving in order to be accepted by God. He invites us to rest from our striving to be good enough. He invites us to rest from being overburdened with the knowledge that we're not good enough. And to come to him whose perfect work on the cross is good enough for us to be perfectly, once and for all, accepted by God. He invites us to cease from striving, to put our trust in him, and to find rest, true rest, deep rest, Sabbath, for our souls for the very core of who we are. How is this rest to be found? Well, by responding appropriately to Jesus and his invitation to come. To come to him and put all our hope and trust in him and rest in him. Now, I'm sure you've noticed, but over the last little while there's been, and there seems to always be, I've used this intro before. Um, a number of newborn babies have arrived among us. I'll see in an, actually, I might mark the date and see if in about four or five months or somewhere like that I can say the same thing. But nevertheless, recently a number of newborns have come among us. And so there are people among us who have not had much sleep lately. In fact... It's par for the course often, isn't it? You don't have much sleep with a newborn and your only hope is that it doesn't last too long. That the average 13 weeks is what you're going to get before they settle into a routine. And if it can be sooner than that, oh, eight would be great. Hey, I haven't forgotten, clearly, right? I haven't forgotten what it was like. 1995, 1996, 1998, 2000, all you want to hop into bed. That's all you want. Weary. Huh. Oh my goodness. Weary. Overwhelmed or heavy laden. You think? If only, if only I could get some rest. Friends, sleep is such a perfect picture of the rest that Jesus is talking about here. Not from physical weariness, 
but from spiritual weariness at the core of who you are. Weariness in our souls. If only we could get some rest. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. Take my yoke upon you. I will do everything you need to be both saved and made new. The second part's going to be a work in progress and making new. But the saved will be done and dusted, so come to me. How will you respond to that invitation? Have you responded to that invitation? I'd venture to say it's probably one we want to respond to reasonably regularly. (laughs) Maybe you're weary even now as you sit here, worn out, weighed down from trying to measure up to God or maybe even to others. Maybe overwhelmed by your failed attempts, by your falling short, by your sin and shame, desperately wanting to sense acceptance with God, desperate for peace and rest that constantly seems to evade you. Hear and respond to Jesus today. He is the King who saves. Come to him and find true rest. Maybe you're here and you're weary just trying to live for Jesus each day. It's become more of a duty than a delight. And there's probably a whole bunch of reasons for that, but I reckon one of them could be something like this. It's not only the Pharisees who can come up with Talmuds. We're not so bad at it ourselves, right? Coming up with lists that somehow we think make us more acceptable to God than we already are in Christ. I mean, it's not written down, but it's often operational. It's often functional. And so again, we need to hear the invitation of Jesus. Take my yoke upon you. That's how we live for him. Take his new law upon us. Take his yoke. Have him write his law on your heart. Ask him to do that. Have him strengthen you by his spirit to bring you new life. Don't create new lists. Take his yoke and you will find rest for your souls. So the only question for us is this. Will we come to him humbly like a child Dependent on him for revelation, longing to see him and know him deeply and personally. We come like that, 
And will we come honestly with all our fears and failures, all our sin and shame, looking for him to do what we could never have done for ourselves, grateful for his perfect work on the cross for us so that we can cease from ours and rest. I want us just to take a moment, quietness, as we respond to Jesus himself, the one who shows the Father to us, the one who provides true rest for us. Take a moment, sing, and then we're going to head for the Lord's table where we're going to see the perfect work of Jesus and celebrate that together. Take a minute, maybe two, and then we'll sing.